school, when you would fill out what your parents did for a living, I would write trimmings, not knowing what the heck it was. When they opened up the window in the sweatshop, I used to go play on the roof. Is that a great place where you could play? I said, God, let the morning come quick so I can go to my sewing machine. I think I'm nuts. Hello and welcome to Sewing Stories, the podcast where local Westchester area residents share their life in fabric and thread. I'm your host, Aaron Page, Director of Folk Arts at Arts Westchester, the officially designated Arts Council for Westchester County, New York. For the last several months, Arts Westchester has been teaming up with Amanda Browder, a Brooklyn-based fabric artist, to transform our nine-story building in White Plains into a cascading, colorful fabric installation. All of the stories heard in this podcast were collected from individual volunteers who've been involved in the building of this monumental work of public art. While the project is currently on hold because of COVID-19, our hope is that the stories shared here will in some small way sustain and deepen the social fabric of our sewing community. This week's episode explores stories of doll making, sewing machine collecting, and the fabric and garment design industry, featuring White Plains residents and married couple Evelyn and Larry Eidelberg. Enjoy! Hi, my name is Evelyn Eidelberg. I've learned how to sew in a sewing machine when I was four years old. An old treadle, of course, and made my doll's clothes, first set of paper, then my grandma showed me how to make simple patterns, mostly out of necessity because we weren't rich enough to be able to afford ready-made things. I grew up in a very poor section of Brooklyn, which was called Ocean Hill Brownsville. When I went to college, I majored in textiles and minored in education, so it wasn't surprising that I became a junior high school sewing shop teacher. At that time, we were not allowed to wear pants at all, so I made all my own dresses and skirts, and finally, when they allowed pantsuits, I made my own pantsuits. After teaching for 12 years, I really was missing wanting to be a designer. I left teaching, and I got a job selling in a textile design studio in the garment center. Before long, I was making sample garments for showrooms for fabric converters. When a salesman came up, instead of showing them a bolt of fabric, they would hold up a dress or a vest that I had made from their fabric. So it was more understandable and so that they could see it within their line. Necessity made me leave the garment center because I got into it kind of late and I wasn't being paid enough. But I started to do freelance designing, especially for women's coats. While I'm walking around with a huge portfolio of textile designs that I'm showing to designers and to converters, in walks another man who's also carrying a large portfolio. And somebody had overbooked. And the man sitting next to me with the large portfolio became my husband. My interest in sewing led to a 50-year antiques collection. One day, while I was in a shop, I looked down at the floor, and I saw a small painted box with a flower on it. I opened it. I thought it might be a humidor. Lo and behold, it was an actual sewing machine from the 1880s that was made to sit on a table with no bobbins. And that became my interest. For the next 50 years, I scattered out hand machines, toy machines, pincushion dolls, 
anything relating to sewing. I like the toy sewing machines. They're very sweet. They really work. They're tiny and they're cast iron. The shapes on them are very graceful because the regular hand machines are cast iron and heavy and bulky. The toy sewing machines of that area were absolutely charming and delicate. And even in a studio apartment, I would always have shelving that went around towards the ceiling, and the room would be wrapped in sewing machines on high shelf. Then I discovered the pincushion dolls, which of course, again, had two things in my life that meant a lot to me. Dolls, I was a girly girl, and who remembers the name of her first doll? Also from my grandmother showing me how to, my grandmother was a doll maker in a factory. Um, my whole family came from Russia, or the Ukraine, depending on what year it was. My father never really made it here. He never really had time to develop a lot of skills. He was the youngest of the children when he came. He was nine. And, um, but his siblings, who were 12 and 15 and 18 and 20 and 22, most of them never learned how to read and write in English. They never really had jobs other than working in textile factories, you know, sweater factories or being cutters. So they never really made it. They really couldn't overcome their beginnings. So there wasn't, um, there wasn't ornament in the house. I mean, we didn't have nice things. I never wore anything new. Everything my mother sewed to shorten, take in, because she was remaking clothes that that what had been for a woman that was now going to a little girl. I was the little girl, of course. And I was embarrassed by it, and I was ashamed of it. When I was about five or six, a cousin of mine was getting married, and we had to wear a fancy dress. And so my mother was forced to buy me a new dress, and it was turquoise. I remember twirling in it. It was nylon, and it was sort of iridescent, and it was magical to me. And to this day, my favorite color is turquoise. And when I wear it, it makes me feel like that happy little girl. When I was a little girl, they had this doll that came out called the Ginny doll. And it was like four or five dollars. And it was the first doll to come out where you could buy clothes, a bed, playground. She had all kinds of accessories. We couldn't afford that. So my mother bought me a one dollar knockoff in McCrory's, like a Woolworth's. An outfit for the doll was like $3. Guess what? I was wearing dresses two from a dollar from May's basement, so I wasn't been, they weren't spending $3 on a doll's dress. So I'm sitting uh, in my girlfriend's apartment, three of us, and they both have Ginny dolls, and it came with a little pink case. I, mine was a shoe box that I put pink construction paper on, and um, they said, okay, Evelyn, let's pretend our dolls are going to a party now. So they're going to all get dressed up. So, they, so Janie and Sandy turn around, and they, they open the little pink closet, and they put a dress on the doll. And I open my shoebox, and I put one of my homemade dresses on the doll, and my friend says to me, let's pretend your doll is the maid since she doesn't have any good clothes. And right then and there, I said to myself, I'm going to learn how to sew well enough so that my doll never has to be the maid again. I'm Larry Eidelberg. I'm currently a Westchester resident. 
I have lived in Manhattan and Brooklyn, my home borough, and for about two years or so in the 1980s, uh, a friend who um, owned a fabric design studio asked me to sell for her, to sell uh, artwork to manufacturers of garments and fabric. And I took it on as a, as a challenge. I knew nothing about the industry at the time. It was fascinating working with artists who came with, up with ideas that they hoped would sell in the market. They did uh, sample uh, paintings on silk and I, as a salesperson, would take them to designers and fabric companies and try to sell them. And then they would take those designs and put them on the fabric that they were then uh, creating. It was interesting to see, uh, learn about an industry that often made decisions based on whim and what they thought would be selling, what they thought would be current, what they thought would be fashionable. And I was often asked, what's selling? as though I was a maven about uh, trends. I wanted to learn more about it, so I took a course at Fashion Institute on fabric design. And uh, not the artistic side, but the process, how, design, how fabric is printed, how it's designed. It was not a world I planned to stay in, but it gave me an insight into the garment industry, fashion that I didn't have before, and that has been a mainstay of New, the New York City and New York area economy for decades. Uh, so my interaction with fabric is more on the sales side, but it, it also enhanced an understanding and an appreciation of design, clothing, selling, and creativity. My grandfather had been a, a tailor, very uh, talented tailor of women's clothing. He did come here from Poland at the age of 16, I believe, spoke no English, came alone, had some tailoring skills, I understand, from Europe, and parlayed them into uh, a business and uh, a career and a, an income stream that then raised a family. He's an, an interesting and not uncommon example of a successful immigrant story. But I did know that the women's wear that he created was appreciated. He sold to um, women with, with some money in Brooklyn, and he created some beautiful outfits. I have one memory of him visiting in his store whenever I visited him. He would have his, a sewing machine in the front of the store, and he would be sitting at it, and he'd look up, and he'd always have a piece of thread hanging from his lip. <laughs> he never used scissors. He always bit the thread, and that's my image of him with his thread hanging down.